I'm curious, how have you maintained a passion for reading wow. for such a long time? Um, I guess because I believe that storytelling, right, in all of its forms and, and, and reading is, uh, I think, one of the forms that has the most impact because the narrative lives in our imaginations. It's created, it's formed and, and expressed in our imagination. It, it, it's the stories that we tell each other that really determine who we are, why we're here, and what our contribution is going to be on, on our uniquely human journey. It's, it's that elementally essential to the human experience, reading and storytelling. I'm Cody Goff with TheImaginativeCuriosity.com. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, we'll boldly go into the world of storytelling with the legendary LeVar Burton. Every week, we explore what we don't know because curiosity makes you smarter. This is the Curiosity Podcast with LeVar Burton. Yes, the LeVar Burton. You might know him as Kunta Kinte from the 1977 miniseries Roots or as Jordy LaForge from Star Trek The Next Generation. Or maybe you know him from Reading Rainbow. He's also a director, educator, and author, and he has a podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. He's been an advocate of reading for decades and has been able to entertain and educate millions using the power of books. Today, we'll talk to LeVar Burton about technology, podcasting, and how to tap into the magic of storytelling. Well, you've been a storyteller for years, and I mean, everyone knows you as as a lot of different roles in the storytelling pipeline, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're an actor, you're mm-hmm. a director, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can you can fill an entire audience of a thousand people in a church <laughs> on uh, on a Friday night uh, who want to listen to you read a book to them. Like, yeah. What is? I mean, I'm just surprised that you gravitate so closely towards telling stories of this particular form, and I'm surprised you're not an a novelist that's written like 35 volumes of, of books. <laughs> well, well, first of all, I, I, I have come to the conclusion. I mean, I do see myself as a storyteller. That's what I am. That's, that's not just what I do. It's, it's what I am. It's how I express. And, and as, as you pointed out in, in, in several different ways, uh, writing is one of them, but I, I have a love hate relationship with writing. I, I feel that, Writing is something that I, I will do when I retire from all of all of the current ways in which I, I do storytelling now. And that at the end, towards the end of my life, I will move to an island in the Caribbean and, and I will sit and I will I will write. But reading aloud for me is is one of the most pure forms of storytelling, I think, because it gives me an opportunity to to wear all of my storyteller hats simultaneously. I get to act and and create characters. I get to direct because I'm visualizing the story as I'm reading it. I get to produce because my producer had is sort of helping me frame mood, tempo, inflection. I get to exercise a lot of my storyteller yayas when I'm reading aloud. Yeah, it's certainly theatrical as as I experienced at uh, the first I, I guess the first stop on LeVar Burton Reads, which you're taking on the road. LeVar Burton Reads Live, yeah. We, we were, we, we, our first stop was in Chicago uh, recently at the Fourth Presbyterian Church, and you were there. You were in the house <laughs> on the night. I had to be. Um, it was, I, I was um, raised with a Catholic background, and I think I've actually been to Mass at that church. Wow. And I got to tell you, 
you were reading a book and the place was packed and it was quieter than any Catholic service I think I've ever been to, if only because there were no crying babies the entire time. There were no crying babies, <laughs> which, for which I am eternally grateful. Um, it was a great house. It was, it was amazing to, uh, to feel the energy in, in, in that room, in that church. It was full and, and people were hyper attentive and they all came for the purpose of hearing a good story. Exactly. And I was taken aback by it because when I mean, the median age was was young adults, to mm-hmm. uh, middle adults or whatever right. uh, you would call it. But, you know, these are grownups, again, that are spending a Friday night all congregating to hear you read a story in yeah. 2018. Yeah. How how did you do that? <laughs> First of all, pretty, pretty delicious to contemplate. Right. And I think that has everything to do with the fact that, you, you know, that. You're the generation that grew up on reading Rainbow. And so we have a history together of me introducing stories and and promoting my love and enthusiasm for the written word. We have that dynamic that's been expressed over time. And it's a it's a comfortable, I think, and, and maybe even a comforting dynamic that exists between us, millennials and and me. And it's an opportunity to, as an adult, I think, engage in storytelling while, you know, it's sort of in a nostalgic sense, revisiting a, a piece of, of childhood. But as an adult, um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very complex. You're probably better able to explain it than I am. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to come out of my millennial bliss for a second and actually try to explain why we all feel this way. For kids like me who grew up on Reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton hits on two very important psychological triggers. The first, obviously, is nostalgia. You associate him and the sound of his voice with who you were when you first saw him on television. And that probably makes you reminisce about your family, your childhood friends, and the way you felt when you were young and life was simple. The feeling of nostalgia has all sorts of benefits. Studies have shown that people tend to wax nostalgic when they feel depressed or lonely, and that makes them feel better. In one study, people who listened to nostalgic music were more likely to say they felt loved and that life was worth living. And in another, they actually felt physically warmer. That's probably pretty obvious, but you might not know about the second heartstring that LeVar plucks, the phenomenon of the parasocial relationship. That's the one-sided yet very real connection you can make with a fictional character. If you watched Reading Rainbow throughout your childhood, LeVar probably became a kind of surrogate parent, or at least a beloved friend of the family who came into your living room each day to read to you. Psychologists think that in our brains, parasocial relationships actually can play the same roles as real ones. People tend to watch their favorite TV shows when they feel lonely, and even thinking about a favorite show can boost people's self-esteem and lighten their moods. This is real stuff you're feeling. Don't fight it. I was read to as a child. I, right. I have fantastic parents. Like, I have nothing to complain about in my childhood, but it being read to was never like a core part of my childhood experience. It's not the one thing that I go back to, but I know many people who who had different experiences growing up where being read to by their parents or right. being read to on Reading Rainbow were yeah. really, really impactful. So I, I was interested to kind of see, just look around and say, how are these people responding in the moment yeah. to being in a, a full house and being read to? Um, and I, I saw a variety of reactions, but did you get any feedback afterwards that particularly surprised you or stood out to you? I'm always amazed, I, I guess, at the idea that people would come out to hear a story being read, it gives me a, 
I don't know, a sense of personal satisfaction, but it also fills me with uh, a great amount of, of hope and, and inspiration and, and really validates some of my core beliefs about the important nature of storytelling and how, how important it is to the, you know, the, the, the human being. You're absolutely right. A, a, a lot of us do have in common that, that lap experience of having been read to as a child as, as being a real, uh, it's not that we remember the imagery, but we, we certainly, uh, that feeling of being cherished and, and, and loved and focused on and being delivered this gift of that focus and, and, and a transmission of so much that is inarticulable about culture and language and literature. Just that experience of sitting in the lap of, of an adult and being read to is such a powerful common experience that communicates much more than than can be put into words and so when we seek out those experiences as an adult it it really can be powerful it just reminds us of the elemental nature of of humanity that we are a part of you are a very thoughtful guy you know that Um, thanks. I, these are things that I think about, though. No, and you can tell. And I, I, I almost feel like that's. You said that you. It's not just that you like to tell stories, but you are a storyteller, and you've kind of discovered that about you. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like with the amount of reflection that you put into all this stuff, I mean, you, you clearly think about how to tell a story a certain way, whether directing something or or acting in, in a TV show or a movie, and it's almost like. The only way for you to even express all of that storytelling power is through art or through some type of performance. Yeah, different modalities of of, of storytelling definitely work for me because I, I genuinely feel that, that I I have something to say in you know in all of these different expressions. I I I love being a director. I love being an actor. I I, I love being a producer. I love having a podcast where I can literally read a story aloud. I haven't found any one expression that does it all for me, which is why I continue to try and 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 do all of these different things. So you're into this whole podcasting thing? Think it's going to stick around? I yeah, I believe it will. It's crazy how it has exploded, and the wonderful way that it's it's just exploded. It's an absolute brilliant medium and there's such a low barrier to entry that it it was just too delicious to to pass up for me it was an opportunity for me to just do something that i really wanted to do basically for myself i i wanted to engage in 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 a creative activity where i did not have to ask permission where it wasn't necessary for a network or a studio to say, okay, yes, go and do that. It was something that I could just decide to do and then do. And that's, it's part of, you know, what I call the democratization of content creation, where we live in an amazing era right now where, you know, we can all realize the storyteller inside of us. We've all got a story to tell, I believe, and, and, and the tools are available for us to share our stories and and that's 
That's the basis of a civilization evolving, is getting to know one another's stories, finding the commonality in, in the person next to us or across the room or across the ocean and recognizing our commonality, our common humanity. That's how civilization evolves in, in, in a peaceful and civilized way. Speaking of commonalities and humanity, I, I was very surprised with what you just said about why you got into podcasting, because it's almost word for word the exact same reason I got into it. And what's crazy about that to me is, is like I started podcasting 20, 2011, 2012. I was a, not a struggling actor, but I was dabbling in acting and not getting roles. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't have to get cast if I can just do a podcast. But it blows my mind that you would say something similar, like that you get all that control. I mean, you're LeVar Burton. I mean, you probably shouldn't have a hard time finding an acting role or a directing role. You know, you're very accomplished and you've certainly done a lot. So it's it's just crazy to me that you, even you, would look at the medium and say, you know what, I have complete control over this and that's why I'm going to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not like a, a George Clooney or a Tom Cruise who can dictate what I do and just come up with an idea and, and have, you know, all the resources in the world at my disposal. No, I'm, I'm a guy who grinds it out, you know, each and every day. I'm really fortunate to be able to do what it is I do. I love what I do. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a hustler. I, I recognized a long time ago that, that just waiting for the phone to ring was not a, a satisfying experience for me. So I work hard at creating the, the career that I have because it's mine. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I thought a lot about your career in particular, and, and it's so... It's so dynamic. I mean, almost every character that I think of you for is an iconic character in a very different way. Mm. You know, from reading Rainbow to Jordi LaForge mm-hmm. to Kunta Kinte. Mm. Is there one that you identify with more than others? Or do you do you ever feel like you've got almost like a split personality between all these <laughs> huge, huge roles you've had? Interestingly enough, I, I, I see them all as aspects of, of, of me. All of them. And I guess for, for, for most actors, that's really true. There is a lot of me that lives in Kunta. There's a lot of me that, that, that makes up Jordy. And, I, and I, I, I've, I've said this before. I think I said this at, at, at the LeVar Burton Reads Live in, in Chicago. That I believe that, I, I, that there is this, this continuum, a line on which I exist in, in these three distinct places. In, in the past is Kunta and in the future is Jordy and that LeVar is, is in the middle of that continuum and, and that these are all expressions. You could look at it as, as the evolution of a soul, right? These are all expressions of the same consciousness in different timelines on, uh, on, on different points in the space-time continuum. It is, it's the expression of evolution. I can see that. And, and to ask a question actually about putting a little of yourself into everything, mm-hmm. I almost felt like you had a yoga background because mm. when you said, let's start by taking a deep breath, which mm. you do in your podcast, mm-hmm. that church was like, it was locked and loaded. It was like a synchronized <laughs> thousand people breathing at the exact same time. So I've got to ask, and I, I did some research. I couldn't find it. Why do you always start with the deep breath? If, for a couple of reasons. For, for, number one, for, for me, the, the deep breath is 
it's a starting off point and it separates the moment before from the moment which comes after. Um, that deep breath is an opportunity to be in the now moment, right? And and that does come from a, a you know a, having practiced yoga for many many years and 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 knowing that we tend to walk around in lives holding our breath and that a conscious breath is is an active measure of claiming the awareness of a now moment space. That's a beautiful answer. That was a beautiful answer, and I hope I don't muck it up too much by adding what the science has to say. There's a good reason why taking a deep breath helps you relax when you're stressed. It comes down to your autonomic nervous system. This system runs the things you don't have control over, mostly because they keep you alive. Stuff like your heart rate, digestion, your run-of-the-mill organ functions. Stress, whether that's a lion in the grass or a late-night email from your boss, kicks your sympathetic nervous system into high gear, making your heart beat faster and your blood pressure rise. But here's the thing. Breathing is both an autonomic system you don't have to think about and a voluntary function you can control. If you can slow your breathing, you can urge a lot of those other fight-or-flight responses to follow suit. Deep breathing basically hacks your nervous system, taking it from a state of panic to a state of calm. Cool, right? But here's one more thing LeVar's group breathing does. It unites the audience. Studies show that when a bunch of people are all asked to do the same thing, they tend to sync up their movements. But they sync up more than just that. Sometimes their breathing synchronizes and their heart rates match. And of course, when a group all does the same thing together, it helps them to bond and cooperate. That's why some performers and presenters will start by getting the audience to do a coordinated movement. It turns them from a bunch of individuals into a united group. Hey, Ashley, real quick before we get back to LeVar, I want to mention that the Curiosity Podcast is brought to you by Skillshare. That's right. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Yeah, and it's a great place to learn a variety of skills so you can be a jack-of-all-trades like LeVar. You can take classes in productivity and time management, social media strategy, Google Analytics. Basically, you name it, they've got it. And it's not just professional skills. I'm taking a course right now on Indian cooking. Please bring some to the office when you're done because that sounds delicious. No promises. (laughs) I've actually been using Skillshare for my work here at Curiosity.com. You've probably noticed we're making a lot of videos on Facebook Live and YouTube, and those require, well, video editing. So Skillshare has been a lifesaver because they have courses on how to use Final Cut Pro 10, which is the software I use. And there are a lot of changes in the newest edition of Final Cut Pro. So the Skillshare courses specifically designed to train for this tool help me make better videos faster. It's good to know you can learn the latest and greatest tips and tricks on Skillshare. And you can learn new skills today with a special offer just for Curiosity Podcast listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Curiosity Podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to more than 18,000 classes for just 99 cents total. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash curious. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash curious to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash curious. Now let's take a deep breath and get back to the episode. (sighs) For the Q&A, a gentleman, I guess, walked up in the church and asked you to give a blessing (laughs) to him and his fiance. That was wild. Yeah, wasn't it, though? That was wild that they would ask me to bless. They, they had just gotten engaged and they wanted a blessing from from LeVar. Like, what? 
but we did. I mean, we has that ever happened before? Uh, not so spontaneously. I mean, I I have performed the wedding ceremony before as an as I'm an ordained minister, and I've and I've I've stepped into that space before, but I've never been asked by strangers to step into that space, and 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 actually bless bless their union. It was quite a, it was an extraordinary moment. Yeah, you better be careful, or you're going to start to get uh, a lot of requests. <laughs> Well, m- most of them have come from people who, you know, want to get married and in, 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 uh, want, want me to dress up in, in, in a Star Trek uniform and marry them. And uh, for the most part, I've turned those all down. <laughs> Just for the most part? Yeah, okay. In truth, all of them. I've, I've turned all of them down. Okay, yeah, I mean, you don't want anybody out there thinking, oh, he turned me down yeah. for the other one. No, 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 it, 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 it's been a universal no uh, so far. Would the, uh, would, would the caveat for a yes be that you have to get a captain's uniform? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it if I get four pips, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, um, well, I know that initially when we were talking about coordinating this interview, you mentioned that you are, are familiar with Curiosity and you're kind of behind what we're doing, which we really appreciate. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about some of your current projects like LeVar Burton Kids mm. and all the other great, fantastic work that you, you're you doing outside of your podcast. Right. Um, LeVar Burton Kids is... is uh, is one of my companies. It is the work that I did for many years with the Reading Rainbow brand. I continue to do that work only only under a different name, a different moniker. Our mission at LeVar Burton Kids is to uh, harness the unique curiosity of a child and to help them explore the world with an open heart and an open mind. It's one of the reasons why you know, I, I, I relate so much to the work that, that you're doing with the Curiosity Podcast. Curiosity is a key component in, in helping to develop a love of learning in a human being. And we all possess it. But depending upon where we are and, and what system we're brought up in, uh, our curiosity is tapped into uh, at varying levels and, and at, in different degrees. And I, I genuinely believe that that harnessing a child's innate curiosity is is really key to getting them hooked on being a learner for life. If you're a learner for life, then then you're you're gonna be okay. You are compelled to move through life as an open book and as one who continually wants to expand their their knowledge as well as their information and experiential base in life and 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 that kind of attitude and 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 approach really does lead to a fulfilled experience a full experience of 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 being human so we really we 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 focus at LeVar Burton kids on on that curiosity and and as I say, helping helping children explore the world with with an open heart and an open mind. We we definitely need to create compassionate human beings, especially in this day and age. And through storytelling and the and the, the products that, that we that we produce, the the Skybrary app, um, for instance, and and Skybrary School, our products specifically for schools, for teachers to use in the classrooms. That mission statement is very much alive in that work. It's very cool what you're doing, and it's really cool that. The technology is allowing people like you and people like Curiosity to present information to people and help them on that lifelong learning path yeah. uh, that you talked about. It's kind of a double-edged sword, though. Like, on one hand, it's more accessible, but on the other hand, 
you can walk around and see a lot of little kids on their cell phones and, and tablets. Have you found that it's harder to convince people to learn on an ongoing basis or that it's more challenging to get kids to read over the years? I don't necessarily. My experience isn't it's necessarily more difficult to get kids to read. I think that the challenge of the modern age is to help children in as much as, as their lives, as well as ours as adults, are, are really dominated by technology and technological devices. And it, it's these devices that are the delivery systems for so much entertainment and information. The challenge is to cultivate a desire for balance because these devices are so pervasive in our lives and so addicting that we're not very good yet at expressing balance in terms of our relationship with them and how much time we spend on them, right? What we need to do is we need to cultivate in in this generation and, and every generation that follows, it seems, the innate desire to put the device down, to use it appropriately, not indiscriminately, as, as you know, we're, we're, these are our first steps with this technology and our relationship with this technology. And we're just indiscriminate in our use. We haven't developed any sort of balance yet. That's the challenge. Everything in moderation, right? Absolutely. I know that you're obviously very busy with lots of different projects and reading lots of books all the time. But do you have any favorite podcasts and what do you listen to? Other than, of course, I'm sure the Curiosity podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have kind of eclectic uh, uh, tastes in, in podcast listening. Uh, everything from, from Two Dope Queens, The Read, I Love, Ear Hustle. Was, had an opportunity recently to be on uh, a radio show that's now a podcast called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me uh, out of WBZ in, in Chicago. I love lore. I love lore. And it's one of the few storytelling podcasts that I listen to. I tend to gravitate, I think, you know, when I'm, when, when I'm just listening to podcasts for my own enjoyment, I tend to gravitate towards personalities that I, that I enjoy spending time with. But Aaron Monkey's lore is, 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 is really, it's, uh, it's storytelling after my own heart. Yeah, I've heard that one too, and it's quite good, definitely. Yeah. And I was going to ask you too about preparing for storytelling. There's certainly a difference in tone between reading Rainbow and LeVar Burton Reads as you've advanced to the age of your audience. Yeah. But how do you perform that differently? And is there a difference in preparation? No, it's really the, the material that determines the performance, right? I'm the same performer. I'm the same LeVar. But when I'm reading a children's book, I'm that part of me that is a, and relates to being a child and what a child would want to hear and how a child would want to hear it. When I'm reading to an audience of adults, uh, I, I'm in that frame of mind and, and I'm, I'm reading and performing in a manner that I would want to, to be entertained by someone if I were being read too. Well, it was very entertaining, and I'm not just saying that because we're talking. And of course, I've listened to the podcast, which is also excellent. And I'm sure you know about the Mr. Rogers documentary. I do. I haven't seen it, but everyone's talking about it. So I want to ask, mm -hmm. what do you think the LeVar Burton documentary is going to look like? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, 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 have, I, have no, I have no idea. What do you um, want it to look like? Ah, I'm not sure I want there to be one necessarily. <laughs> 
too much of an opportunity for my friends to, you know, go on the record embarrassing me. Um, exactly. You better have some pretty good notes so nobody misinterprets anything. <laughs> Maybe I'd better get to work on that just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're uh, already a writer and a producer. I mean, you might as well. Uh, that's a funny concept. You know, it's like somebody it's somebody writing their own obituary. I feel like Joan Rivers did something like that for E! Entertainment or like a true Hollywood story spoof of herself. So it can happen. She might have done. Yeah, she might have done. She might have done. She did. E! True Hollywood Story, Joan Rivers, aired on April Fool's Day in 2001 and featured interviews with A-list celebrities like Tom Hanks and Bette Midler just totally trash-talking her. It was a parody, so the many revelations about her country music album and her secret twin weren't actually true. If you'd like to see a real documentary about this legendary performer... Check out the critically acclaimed Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. I have one final question from Curiosity.com. We call this the Curiosity Challenge. So here's my question for you. It's actually about storytelling. Ooh. Now, there was a scientific study, and scientists had people read a series of exciting stories awesome. that they had mixed up to change where the ending was. Mm-hmm. And usually it was a story with a bit of a plot twist or something unexpected happens in the ending. So there were three groups. Which of the groups do you think enjoyed the story the most? The story where the ending was part of the introduction, the story where the ending was revealed in a separate text, or the story where the ending was not revealed at all? Hmm. So let me make sure that I understand this. So scientists did an experiment where they exposed people to stories where the location of the ending was changed. Mm-hmm. The, lo- the 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 placement. When you say location, you mean the placement of of the ending. Yep. Yeah. In, the location in, of where it was placed within, within the, the text. text. And so, for some people, they experienced the ending at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Some people experienced the ending as an addendum outside of the story, mm-hmm. and other people experienced the ending chronologically at the end of the tale. Mm-hmm. And your question is, which group enjoyed the story the most? I'm going to say those who who experienced the story, the ending at the end. So surprisingly, in this study, the participants who enjoyed the stories the most were the ones who had the ending spoiled for them. At, at the beginning of the story. That's so wild. Did, did they, do they know why? So part of it is this, and I think you'll find this particularly interesting is that knowing the end of a movie or book or TV show frees up some space in your brain to focus in on the details Ah. instead of expending mental energy on trying to predict the ending. And it's so funny. I saw this study and I thought back to a previous episode of LeVar Burton Reads where you read a short story by Neil Gaiman. Uh And it was an excellent story, but I found myself not experiencing it in the moment the way I know I should have because I was focused on the ending. And then the next right. couple episodes of the podcast I listened to, right. I didn't do that, and I didn't think about the ending at all, and it was phenomenal. Wow. So maybe the next time you read a book, wow. maybe spoil the ending for yourself and see if you enjoy it more. You know, that's really weird, because oftentimes I will um, begin the reading of a story by going to the end and reading the last paragraph, sometimes only the last line, but but oftentimes the very last paragraph. Not that it, it necessarily informs how the story unfolds for me, but I guess it just sort of gets it out of the way. I, I guess that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I guess I do that, too. 
And I have to correct myself. They preferred the stories with the ending in a separate text the best. In a, in a separate text. Ah, but either way, they enjoyed the spoiled story more than they enjoyed the story where the ending was where it belonged at the end. Right. 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 Wow. Wow. You learn something new every day. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to use that soundbite everywhere. You just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe you have a question for me. Okay. Um, well, let's see. Let me see if I can, uh, I can put this in the form of a question. The 1977 miniseries Roots holds a unique distinction in television history. Um, what is it? Ooh. Is it the most watched miniseries in TV history? It is it, that, that partially correct. The, the final episode of Roots is, is in the top five, I believe, of most watched episodes of television in the history of the medium. Go to the head of the class. Wow. Well done. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's pretty cool. me too me too it holds up too by the way i actually watched it somewhat recently and my god it is powerful storytelling it is powerful storytelling it definitely is well of course people can find your podcast lavar burton reads which just wrapped its second season and where can people go to get tickets LavarBurtonPodcast.com. We still have some live dates coming up in uh, in Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So go to LavarBurtonPodcast slash tour for information. And the last episode of LeVar Burton Reads for this season, I'm happy to report that it is indeed a story by my favorite science fiction author of all time, Octavia Butler. So it gives me great joy to end season two on that high note. But there will definitely be fresh episodes of the podcast coming out this summer as well. So get you some, y'all. Go get you some. (laughs) And we'll have links in the show notes to everything we talked about today. I cannot thank you enough for joining me on the Curiosity Podcast. I have enjoyed it. And 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 as I say, I am a fan of Curiosity and and what y'all are doing. Um, You're doing the work. You're doing you're doing good work. You're doing God's work. Keep it up. You're an inspirational guy, so I thank you and appreciate that. Thank you so much, LeVar Burton. It was great talking to you. You are welcome. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings. We wrap up every episode with an extra credit question to give Curiosity.com readers a chance to show off their knowledge or to learn something new. This week's question comes from our new Facebook group called I'm Curious, where Curiosity fans ask the questions and share the discoveries that get them excited about the world. This question comes from Kevin Bertolotto, who wants to know if going for two weeks without sleep would mean guaranteed death. The answer after this. We've mentioned Curiosity.com a couple times on this episode, and that's because this podcast is a part of Curiosity.com. Yeah, I think we might have a few new listeners who don't really know about what we do outside of this podcast. We do everything outside of this (laughs) podcast, don't we? We definitely do. We write a lot on all sorts of things like science, psychology, travel, productivity and life hacks. We even have some puzzles. It's great. 
it's kind of a one-stop shop for anybody who is curious. And in addition to our website, we offer a five-star app for Android and iOS, which is, by the way, completely free. You can check that out and have stories delivered to your phone every day to learn just a little bit about the world. Yeah, it's great when you're like standing in line at the coffee shop. You can just flip through the five stories of the day and like learn something new right there. You can also subscribe to our magazine on Flipboard. And of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can sign up for our email list. And there's so many ways to get in touch with us, including listening to the Curiosity Podcast. Instagram is actually a really cool thing because if you follow us on Instagram, you'll get our Instagram stories, which are daily polls where you can show off how smart you are by telling us what the right answer is. We're just here to really have a lot of fun and maybe help you learn something new about the world. So check us out on curiosity.com or again, the Curiosity app for Android or iOS. All right, wake up. It's time for the extra credit answer. Kevin Bertolotto wanted to know if two weeks of sleep deprivation would automatically kill you. The answer? Probably. But how long could you go without dying? We know that within the first 24 hours without sleep, you go through hormonal changes that lead to a rise in blood pressure. A day or two after that, you stop processing glucose properly and get really hungry. Your body temperature then drops and your ability to fight infection weakens. It's definitely not good for you. But where exactly is the line between unhealthy and lethal? The Guinness Book of World Records no longer accepts entries for the longest period spent without sleeping, so don't even try. But the last person to hold that title was Randy Gardner. In 1963, the 17-year-old stayed awake for 11 days and let his friends do tests on him in the process, along with one scientist who caught wind of the project. It just took two days for him to have problems repeating simple tongue twisters, and he started to become sensitive to strong smells. By day five, he was hallucinating and experiencing memory problems. Gardner is still alive, but he suffers from nightly insomnia and thinks the sleep deprivation probably caused it. In any case, we know that humans can stay awake for at least 11 days without dying. Trying to go any longer is definitely not worth it. You can read all about Randy Gardner's experiment on curiosity.com. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer, check out the I'm Curious Facebook group in the show notes or send an email to podcast at curiosity.com. I just want to give a very special thank you to LeVar Burton, his wife, Stephanie, and his producer, Julia, for helping to set up this interview. It was a privilege beyond words to be able to have this conversation, and I am extremely grateful. I'm still so excited. This was just so fun. Next week, we're going to talk about the limits of the human body. It's going to be another good one. So thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week for the Curiosity Podcast. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. And stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.